Hello and welcome to the Raw podcast coming to you on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, all podcast platforms and now on the radio through the Cat Radio Station as well. My name is James Copley and I'm joined today by Phil Smith. Phil, how are you doing? Yeah, not bad, thank you. Feels like we're um, nearly there, finally, start of the new season. So starting to starting to really look forward to it, to be fair. Yeah, on the cusp of the new season, we were both at the, the game against Mallorca on Saturday. There's one against Hartlepool to come on Tuesday as well. Um, we're going to dive into some pre-season predictions and then we'll round off the podcast with, with some more general uh, chit-chat. Let me just get up the categories that we have um, drawn up. So I'll, I'll run through them very quickly. We've got the predicted best player for Sunderland's 2023-24 season. Uh, best signing so far, obviously caveat that with uh, Sunderland probably aren't done. Um, top scorer, predicted top scorer, predicted uh, breakthrough player and the predicted player that could be a surprise or wildcard. Uh, Sunderland's final position, the three teams that will go up and the three teams that will be relegated from the championship. Phil, we will start with your predicted best player for Sunderland next season. Yeah, I think there were a couple that that, that, that jumped out for me for this one. I, I think with this category you're always looking at someone who you feel is ready to to play 40 games really um someone who you think is going to feature week in week out so you want someone kind of settled and established at the top end of the pitch obviously you've got you've got Clark and Roberts I think who you know are going to be regulars um obviously there's been a little bit of uncertainty about Clark although it does feel increasingly like the most likely avenue for him is to stay but the two that jumped straight out to me were um were, were Dan Ballard and, and Pierre Equa um and I, I'll go with Ballard just because I feel like had he stayed fit last season, I think he would have been a really strong contender for player of the season. Ultimately, he went to Danny Bart, which I thought was totally deserved, mainly because Bart, his consistency and his availability was excellent. Um, and I think one of the reasons why there was a bit of surprise speculation about Bart this summer is that we know Ballard's probably going to be first choice centre-half based on what he did in 20-odd games last season. He's quick, he's really good in the air, he's really physical, he's got a decent level of championship experience under his belt. And while he's not sort of the main ball player in Sunderland's defence, if you like, I think you saw last year, it's actually a fairly decent part of his game. Um, so I'm going to go with Ballard because I feel like if he can stay fit and he's had a good pre-season, which is huge, um, I think we could really see him blossom. And also he missed so many headers from corners last year that I'm convinced that this year four or five of them are going to go in. I think variance is going to strike and he's going to get a bit of luck from corners. So um, I think Equa and Neil, I think both are set for big seasons. I'm excited to watch them in midfield. Um, but I'm going to go with Ballard because I feel like if he'd been fit last year, um, I think he would have been a strong contender for player of the season. I feel really fit like he's ready for ready for a big year. Absolutely. I think I have to go with Pierre Equa. Uh, as you mentioned, he only made 18 appearances in all competitions for Sunderland um, since joining in January, 14 of those coming in the Championship. But I think towards the back end of those 14 appearances in the Championship, we really started to see Equa hit his stride. His physical attributes are brilliant, but he's also got quality on the ball. He looks like he can pick a pass. I think his awareness combined with his agility and his willingness to get stuck into a tackle as well are really impressive. I like his mentality as well. It was a, a tough start for him against top of the league, Burnley away from home. And at times in that game, he did look poor. I think a couple of a couple of games later, he... he um, 
conceded a last-minute penalty against Hull to, to draw the game, which looked like it could be Sunderland's playoff um, hopes dashed. Obviously, didn't turn out that way, but at the time, it didn't it didn't um, it didn't feel too promising. But he bounced back from that as well. So I like him. I like his mentality, and I just think in the middle of the park next to Daniel, we've seen in pre-season that 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 partnership could could bear fruit. I think I think it's really exciting. Yeah, I think a huge amount of credit has to go to player and also head coach for the way he kind of thrived at the end of last year because, you know, there, there was a time when not unreasonably Mowbray was getting a bit of criticism from supporters because we could see that, you know, there was a lot of physicality missing in Sunderland's midfield. I think the Stoke game at home was the obvious example of that. But, you know, Mowbray, he, he, he's pretty honest when it comes to this stuff in press conferences and he said, look, Eck was not that player yet. You know, he could be that player. He's got the attributes to be that player. But at the moment, because he's only really played under 23s football, he doesn't have an understanding of, of the physicality that's required. And he waited and waited, really, until he felt the message got through and that he was seen in training every day, that Echo was ready to, to sort of grasp the nettle with that and um, to put him in. And, and he was that when he came in, he was ready. Um, and now we're beginning to see him sort of bring together um, that technical ability that we know we've got with his, with his physicality. And I think... He's had a good pre-season. Um, I think Mowbray has mentioned once or twice that he doesn't want to see those old habits um, mm. sort of creeping in where Equa lets the game physically pass him by a bit. Um, so I still think he's got another gear to go through. But yeah, he was someone, you know, when we, we mentioned this category, he was someone that jumped straight to mind for me because like, like I say, you look for those players who you feel are ready to improve but also play sort of 40-odd games in the season. And right now, I, I see no reason why Equa can't do that and do it at a high level. Indeed. So the next category, um, predicted best signing for Sunderland. I'll run through the signings very quickly. We've signed Nectar Triantis, Joe Bellingham, um, Lewis Semedo, or better known as Hamia, Jensen Silt, and Eliza Miyende. I think for me, Phil, you could make a case for each of them. However, um, as he's played most and arguably contributed most during pre-season, Given his goal tally, I think Hamia could turn out to be Sunderland's best signing next season. Uh, I really like the way he's, he's ghosting in in Sunderland's box. He, he always seems to be getting on the end of things. I accept that you know we've been playing the likes of South Shields and Gateshead, but he did manage to do it against the Liga opposition um, at the weekend as well. I think there's definitely a case to be made for for Joe Bellingham. Um, he looks a, a real quality physical specimen for only 17 years old. But it's one of these categories, Phil, whereby we could be talking in six months and, and any of the players really could could look like one of Sunderland's best signings. Yeah, it's become a it's become a difficult one to assess, isn't it? Because these players are coming from such a wide, um, diverse background that we don't know a huge amount about them. And, and each one of them is going to have a very different journey, I think. Bradley um, Dack as well, I forgot. Sorry, I forgot Bradley Yeah, Dack. well, I think, I think Dack's a really interesting one, isn't he? Because I think we were all sort of looking at it going... Well, okay, I can see now with him being a free agent that it's a kind of a low risk signing, potentially high reward. Um, it, it, but it's a position of the pitch where there are a lot of good players, and I think that's where people sort of wondered where's he going to fit in. It was interesting talking to Mowbray on Saturday about signing Bradley Dack, and uh, I mean it's no secret that Mowbray's a big admirer of Dack from their time at Blackburn, but he was so positive, wasn't he? Mm. Um, and you know he was so sort of effusive in saying this could be a big deal for us if we can keep him fit, and mainly because he said. Um, that you know what he'll bring that the Pritchard, Bar players like that don't have is that he's got more of a goal store goal scoring instinct, and I think that'll be music to the ears of some fans really because last year we talked about a team that played 
amazing attack in football. But sometimes frustrate you a bit because there was nobody in the six-yard box willing to just do the last touch. Um, and as you mentioned, we've seen Hamir do that really pleasingly well um, in pre-season and hopefully we'll see a bit from Dak. I actually just wanted to bring up in terms of, you know, it's very difficult to predict because we've seen so little of him, but the, the Jensen Seal signing is one that sort of really interests me because we talked about Bath there just before. And I think when we talk about Danny Barton, the sort of uncertainty over his future, I, I think there's a bit of a clue there for how someone want to do it this year. Bart was exceptional last season and he's going to have a big part of play this year. You know, if you go to Millwall away um, or Watford yeah. away under Valerian Ismail, you're probably going to want to pick Bart for his physicality and his aerial ability. But I think there's a bit of a clue there that someone want to try and get really high up the pitch with their defensive line. They want to be really brave and playing out from the back. And so I suppose there's an interesting question there in terms of how do you do that without losing that solidity that Bart brought you um, when he was in the team. And your seal is such a giant. He is absolutely massive. Um, but there's obviously a feeling that he's got that athleticism and also that ability on the ball. And it'll be really interesting to see if he can adjust to the championship and sort of bring both of those qualities because I think that'll mm. make a big difference to how Mowbray is going to play. So because we've only seen him for 45 minutes in pre-season, it's hard to pick him as the best signing, but I'm just going to chuck him in there as someone who I think could have a really interesting impact on the way Sunderland play. Um, but I think we'd both agree that I think we're kind of hoping the best signing's still to come. Um, yeah. No no slight on any of the players that have signed. I just think if you've got one, and I'm sure we'll come on to this, if you've got one reservation about Sunderland at the moment, it's that it does still feel like there's a little bit of an Ahmad and a Stewart-shaped gap in the squad. Um. And it does feel like there needs to be, you know, you want to see that one sign and come in um, who you sort of go, oh, okay, that's a really exciting deal. Um, yeah. and, that, and that's not a criticism because we see a lot of these, especially Premier League loans, they do tend to happen at the back end of the window as the Premier League season starts and those Premier League clubs work out what their squad's going to be. Um, so I'm, I'm hopeful that, that we're not quite done yet um, and there might still be that little bit, of, um, little bit of magic dust like Ahmad was last year. Just on the, the subject of um, potential best signing of the summer and of the season, Joel Bellingham against Real Mallorca was deployed very close to him here, um, almost in a bit of a nine-and-a-half position. He was very, very close, and it was interesting to see that added physicality and height up there as well. Obviously, he possesses tremendous amounts of quality. He nearly got on the end of a, um, a long pass from Anthony Patterson, which went straight over the top. Perhaps on another day, he might, he might get that ball away. What are your thoughts on on that? Obviously, Mowbray has referenced previously that they're not really sure what he is yet, but um, that's a potentially you know sort of very exciting development in in some of the tactical plans and for Bellingham as well because he he looks quality. Yeah, I think I think we will see Belling, Bellingham in a few different positions over the course of the season. I think it makes sense. I don't think you want to pigeonhole a young seventeen year old. Um, you know, I think you want to try and. A, to give him that experience of different roles so that he can develop as a player, but also, like you say, to give you that sense of what the best position for him is. I think the encouraging thing is, as you say, there are a few different options now in that role. Um, you've got Pritchard, who probably doesn't have Bellingham's speed or his athleticism, but what he does have is speed of decision-making. I don't think there's anyone in the squad who moves the ball quicker than Pritchard. Um, and we saw last year you know, how many times that made a big difference in games. You've got Dak who when fit, Mowbray's already made clear he's going to be someone a bit more aggressive in terms of breaking into the box, um, trying to score goals. And then as you see, you've got Bellingham. So I think we're starting to see that, you know, that is an important position in this team with the style someone want to play. And I think what's nice is, especially when we talk about, you know, playing at home where last year it could be a bit of a frustrating 
um, process at times because of that. Maybe Sunderland were a little bit too predictable um, without that centre forward. You can start to see that it feels like, you know, there's a bit more variety in the options. Um, like I say, you still feel like that Ahmad magic gap is there a little bit. Um, mm. But I think Mowbray's now got four or five different options, different ways to play within, you know, the framework that we all know about. And I think that can only that can only be a positive. And I think especially when we talk about trying to improve that home form, which was a big issue last season, that gives me a, a little bit of confidence. Hopefully the referees will stick to this new edict of playing proper added time as well, because that can only be good news given some of what we saw last season. Yeah, I agree with that. It, well, it can only be good news until uh, Ipswich Town score a 90 plus 17 minutes uh, equaliser on Sunday. But you never know, it swings and roundabouts, doesn't it? And I think on the whole, Listen, it, it is a good thing for Sunderland. Given the, if they execute the, that the properly over the, yeah, if they execute that properly over the course of the season, it will work out in Sunderland's favour at home. I'm pretty sure of that. Yeah, no, I agree. Right, the next category is, in my humble opinion, probably the hardest to predict at the moment, and that is top scorer. Who do you think, Phil, will be Sunderland's top scorer next season? Um, it was a mad in the league and in all competitions last season with 13 and 14, respectively. That could have been different had Ross Stewart stayed fit, given he was already on 10 championship goals, I think, in, in 13 games, which was a, an impressive haul, really, considering. Yeah, I think um, this is definitely the hardest category. Um, and it is a cop-out to say the striker who Sunderland haven't signed yet is going to be the top <laughs> scorer. But I, you know, I think that probably is... Well, I'm hoping that's the right answer, to be honest. You know, I'm hoping that that's kind of... More, I'm not when I say senior, I don't mean you know, I mean someone with a decent level of experience who's kind of ready to hit the ground running. Um, sometimes play alongside him here, sometimes play in front of him. Um, I'm hoping that strike will come and that player will be the top scorer. I think right now, sitting as we are, I still think the most likely top scorer is probably Ross Stewart. Mm. Um, you know, we know Stewart it is out till late September. Um, if that's the case, then. I think it makes his departure in this window probably less likely because I think from Sunderland's perspective, you have to get a fee in this window if you want to sell him that is more makes more financial sense than potentially keeping him for the last year of his contract and enjoying the benefits of having him in the squad and what his goals could bring. Are you going to get that level of fee from a club if he's potentially out until you know, mm -hmm. 10, 15 games into the season? I think it's debatable. Now, obviously, that we don't know that. There's no answer to that at this point. But if he does stay, then, you know, he'll get in the team because he's very, very, very good. His record last season suggests he'll score a lot of goals very quickly. Um, and, you know, potentially if you head towards January and he's in a hot streak and someone's riding high on the table, then who knows whatever it'll mm. develop next. So I think it sounds, you know, it's one of those predictions that could make you look very silly in three days' time if someone comes <laughs> in with a, you know, a, a significant bid. But I, I do still think just right now... I, I think there's a chance Stuart has a has a good chance of being the top scorer. That's my honest answer because I think you you do I think it's, you are slightly skeptical about whether that level of bid's going to arrive given his fitness. Um, and if it doesn't, and he plays thirty games for some of this season, would you bet against him being top scorer? I think that would be pretty mm -hmm. brave given the rate he scored at over the last eighteen months. So that is a little bit of an optimistic shout, um, and that is very much looking for all the best case scenarios. Um, right? Yeah, I st I still think. Sitting right here today, that that still seems like the most likely scenario to me. It's interesting that Stuart fitness question because I think I'm on the the same wavelength of of you as that. I don't really see him going with this injury 
Um, and people keep saying it was, well, Sunderland signed him with an injury, and that is true uh, to an extent, but that the level of injury and the level of injuries that Ross Stewart had last season, I think is very different um, and very different circumstances to the one Sunderland signed him in, Phil. Yeah, I think so. And, and I also think that at that point, Stewart was signed essentially as a long-term replacement slash support for Charlie White. So he wasn't signed. And this is where I would slightly, you know, that, that's what my response would be to what you've just raised, is that he wasn't signed for Sunderland as a short-term impact signing. And the reason why that seems significant to me is because with Stuart in the last year of his contract, the only reason why you would pay a significant fee for him now is if he's going to be a short-term signing in your squad. Because if you're looking as someone who you think can have a big role for three to four years, I think you'd be tempted to hold on till January or next summer when he'll either be, potentially be available for a smaller fee or nothing. So the only reason why you would move in this window now is if you're looking for a striker who could hit the ground running. Um, you know, Southampton, who's the head coach, Russell Martin, is a big fan. That's one example. And I think his injury doesn't mean that's definitely not going to happen, but I think it does make it less likely. Um, mm-hmm. So I think, it's a, to be honest, it's not a great situation for Sunderland. It's not a great situation for the player, you know, to have this level of uncertainty and speculation while he's trying to get back from injury. It's clearly not great for the club in terms of their planning. Um, but I think it's sitting here right now, I think it's more likely than not that it doesn't get resolved in the next, um, you know, in the next couple of weeks. But I guess we'll have to see. I mean, it, it's it's funny, isn't it, how things quickly change in the window? Um, but I, yeah, I, I do, I, I do think that injuries made his exit this summer significantly less likely than it would otherwise have been. Yeah, and listening on YouTube says he reckons Hamira's in with a shot too, and I suppose given his preseason uh, goal scoring record. Um, it's hard to argue. I actually, I'm going to go something a bit left field. I'm going to go with Clark. I think he's set for a big a season. Shot. If he if he does stay, I just I do wonder if if Sunderland's goals are going to be fairly um, widespread again this season, as we saw last season. Um, so that's my sort of outside pick. We'll move on to the next category, though. A hugely exciting one. This I would say breakthrough player doesn't even necessarily have to be young player but my pick is probably the youngest player in Sunderland squad and that would be Chris Rigg I think one of the standout performers certainly during pre-season we've we've mentioned before on this podcast Phil about Mowbray saying he's not afraid to get stuck in he's not afraid to kick somebody he came on against Real Mallorca and promptly skinned three or four players um, close to the opposition box to win a free kick in a lovely area you know, it may well be at times this season that his decision making and naivety lets him down, but he's got skill and talent in abundance. Um, it's great to see how he's recovered as well from that injury at the back end of last season, which I think people forget about that. You know, Chris Rigg could have played more for Sunderland last season had it not been uh, for that injury, um, which ruled him out for the remainder of the campaign. So good to see him back. He looks happy. Um, obviously, this two year scholarship deal has been signed, so he's got a bit of stability now. Um, you know, he looked delighted to be part of the group over in America and looked increasingly involved. It was good to see him having a joke on the pitch um, before the Mallorca game, getting the sprinklers involved. So I think it's all good signs for me, and I think he could be the one that, that really breaks through for Sunderland this season. Yeah, I, I'm not sure there's another answer to this one, really, to be honest, given how well given how well he's played in pre-season. I think he's obviously not going to be a regular starter from day one, but I think we're in a position now where you're expecting him to get a fair few opportunities, particularly the Carabao Cup. I'd be amazed if we didn't see him feature prominently in that for however long someone during that competition. And from what we've seen, he's probably going to make an impact. I think he's got 
a couple of things that work really well in Riggs' favour. One is obviously his tenacity, which is already really well established for someone so young. And secondly, which we've seen in pre-season, that habit of getting into the box. We talked about that with Bradley Dack earlier on this podcast. That was something Sunderland massively haven't had. If he keeps making those runs into the box with the way Sunderland play, there'll mm-hmm. be chances for him. Um, you know, you, and we're not saying here that Riggs is going to play 45 games and score 15 goals as Sunderland, you know, race to the championship title. <laughs> But I, do think he, I do think he is going to, we'll see a fair bit of him. And I think it's one where, you know, there's probably not much point having too clever an answer. I think he looks the most likely at this point. The other player, of course, who got his debut last year and his, sort of, his rise is pretty closely mirrored Chris Riggs is Tom Watson. Um, but Watson's not had a pre-season because of an injury. Um, and it sounds like he's still a little way away from being considered, um, you know, being able to return. And obviously, at that point, he'll then need to build his match fitness, presumably under the 21s. So he is someone to keep an eye out for because, you know, he has a level of talent that earned him that debut against Huddersfield last year. Um, so we shouldn't forget about him. Um, it's just that obviously Rig at the moment is much better placed because, well, purely for fitness reasons. Talk to me about Chris Rigg and Bradley Dak actually as a, as a pair, Phil, because... Um... Mowbray referenced sort of Rig having the opportunity to, to learn from, from Bradley Dak just quickly and then move on to, to Tom Watson because Mowbray, again, when you spoke to him after Real Mallorca, was quite quick to stress that had he been fit, Tom Watson would have would have been on the, the pre-season two at America. Yeah, I think so. Um, sorry, can you just repeat that question? You, you went a bit fuzzy for me there. So the, the first one, Mowbray on Dak and Rig and, and how Rig could potentially learn from Dak and the, the second one, Watson would have definitely been a part of, of the pre-season too, yeah. had he been fit. Yeah, I think so. I think just to, to deal with Watson first, I think obviously, you know, the, the way it operates is that Sunderland generally, um, you know, if you have injuries or whatever, you bring some players up from the under-21s to be part of the first-team environment at a certain level. You know, you train pretty much solely with the first team and then drop down to play under 21 minutes when you need them. You know, Rig and Watson were very much in that latter category. They were training more often than not with the first team and dropping down to play under 21 minutes when they need them. It's it's very difficult to be sure about all these things, but I think Watson would have been in that category in this preseason and we definitely would have seen him get regular minutes and he would have gone to America. Um, it's a badly timed injury because some of them get their recruitment done so by the time he comes back, there'll probably be even more competition for places. He'll build as much fitness. Um, so it will be a little while before I think we're talking about him as a first-team player, um, potentially. And obviously, there is some uncertainty over as he goes into the last year of his contract. But at this stage, um, that's quite a way off being a sort of real talking point. So, um, yeah, and I think with, um, with with Dak and Rig, I think, you know, it goes back to what I was saying before about, you know, Mowbray feels that Dak has that technical ability um, you know that a lot of these players in the squad have passing the ball, his movement, but he also feels he's got that real sort of poacher's instinct. Um, and I think that's something that maybe we didn't necessarily realise Rig had when he first broke through. Um, but watching him play in that more advanced role, which he has done in pre-season, he's been really effective at getting in the box and creating chances. Um, so I think that's going to be something that, you know, certainly part of the Dak signing is, is because he's got a level of championship experience. And he's got a level of football and experience. We've always said that the model is never signing experienced players. It's just not spending fees on them. Mm-hmm. And I think they probably see Dak in a similar mold to Pritchard and Evans as someone who brings a level of experience to the dressing room and also someone who the younger players can bounce off. Absolutely. Next category, a uh, player that could surprise or a wild card, so to speak. I've gone for, for three players here. Actually, I think this is my favourite category. 
Um, I think Niall Huggins is one, Phil. You spoke to him after the, the Mallorca game. If he can stay fit, he's a, a player of, of real quality. Zach Johnson is knocking around the first-team squad at the moment, has played in pre-season and looked good. The caveat on him is that, that Sunderland have pretty well stocked for centre-backs at the moment. But I just wonder, like Brig in the, in the Carabao Cup, that he could force his way in. And there's also Bennett and Lahadji as well, who I thought against Mallorca came on and caused a bit of chaos. Um I was talking to a colleague of ours after the game and we were saying about Bennett that he might not always score an assist, but he always seems to to do something in a match and, and produce a, a little moment here and there. Very tenacious on the ball as well. And, and Lahadri's sort of coming to his own a little bit during this pre-season. We've started to see a bit more of him. Uh, so I think we're, we're quite well stocked for, for options to answers in this category, Phil. Yeah, I think Huggins is an obvious one because he can play both full-back positions. And obviously, at the moment, with Adji Elise um, injured for a little while, he's not had a pre-season. Dennis Serkin was obviously back on Saturday, which was fantastic to see and looked pretty good for the most part, I thought. But I would have thought there'll definitely be a vacancy um, either coming off the bench in league games or playing in the cup games for a full-back. Um, and if Huggins is back to his full fitness, which he seems like he's not a million miles off, albeit someone you're obviously being very cautious after so long out, He's definitely going to have opportunities in the first two months of the season to make an impression. Um, and after that, you never know. So he was one that jumped to my mind. But but the other one that I was going to throw in there was actually Jay Mateta. Mm-hmm. Now, we know that Mateta is potentially going to be out for, for two months, which is a massive blow, really, for him. Um, and that will obviously impact him because when he comes back, he'll have to get back to full speed. But it, one of the things that was interesting to me coming into preseason was trying to work out what Mateta's role was going to be because we felt that he was going to struggle to get in as an attacking midfielder because of the, the so well stopped. And we felt that his attributes weren't really particularly well suited to being a holding midfielder, which is where the opportunities probably actually are in this squad. But we've seen Sunderland play a bit differently, to be honest, in pre-season. We've seen there be a lot more rotation. Neil, who was the holding midfielder this year, has got a lot more licence to go forward. And we've seen Equar occasionally drop in as the holding midfielder to let Neil break forward. And I mentioned that because in that system, I can actually see a role where Mateta thrives because he can do both sides of the game quite well. And I thought before his injury, he was looking really strong. And all the reports from training were that physically he was right up at the top of the charts. Um, so, yeah, it's a real blow for him and it's going to make it really difficult for him because, again, there's an outside chance because of his injury, someone go and recruit in that position. Um, but, yeah, I think there's a chance later in the season that, that Mateta will get an opportunity and from what we saw in pre-season, he looks pretty hungry. He looks pretty ready to take it. Yes, indeed. Right, we'll move on to our next prediction, which is Sutherland's final position in the championship table. I think this is this is ridiculously hard. Um, a hard thing to predict. And we've got, you know, a one in 24 chance of being right, really. The, uh, the odds are slim. Phil, what are you going for? I have gone for a slightly optimistic sixth. Um, mm. I think that, yeah, it's really difficult. So, so where am I landing with this? I think that I think Sunderland are in a pretty good position to pick up from where they were last year. I think the core of the side is still in place. I think the core of the side could potentially be even stronger next year for the experience they had last year. Neil, Equa, Ballard, Luke Nine, Roberts, Clark, all these players that you mentioned. And so I think we should feel pretty optimistic um, about the season ahead. And I expect them to win plenty of games. And I think the home form will improve, which will certainly help. I think the two caveats I've got is, one, I do think it'll be a bit of a stronger league this year. 
Um, I find it really hard to see Southampton, Leeds and Leicester not finishing in the top six. I find it almost impossible to see Borough not finishing in the top six. So there's four of your positions gone. And then you're Coventry looking at side. Coventry as well. And then you throw in Coventry, Bristol City. Can West Brom and Norwich and Watford be any worse than they were last year? Possibly, but it seems unlikely. Um, so then you see that, and I guess the point I'm making is that Sunderland have to improve to land at six again. They have to improve to stay where they were last year because of the league around them. And I think with the uncertainty over Stewart and with Ahmad at yet, as of yet, probably not fully replaced, I think it's quite difficult to see the team kicking on massively. Obviously, there's still a few weeks left in the transfer window, so that could change, and fingers crossed it does. Um, but at the moment, yeah, I feel really optimistic about the season, but I have a slight that slight sense of trepidation just because of those factors that I mentioned. So um, I still feel like they can push for the playoffs, um, but I think it'll be harder to get in there this year. Yeah, I think... I'm not that far off you. I went fifth, which is the same as friend of the show, Michael Bowers on, on YouTube um, for the reasons you've, you've stated really, I think it will be a tough season, but arguably Sunderland are, are really well eclip, uh, eclipsed, equipped in terms of their added experience. Now they've, they've added a few players, as you mentioned, that would be really nice to get somebody of the, of the quality of a mad um, or even another Ross Stewart, but those players don't grow on trees, unfortunately. And, uh, as there was last season, there were there were surprise packages and, and players that that stepped up, and you you would hope that we will get that again this season. But uh, it's it's such a tough thing to predict, and inevitably you're gonna uh, you're gonna end up with egg on your face at some point. But we'll move on to the next um, part of our preseason prediction videos. Um, we're going to go with the relegated teams first, Phil. I'll start with my three. Um, first one was Cardiff. I think they're an absolute shambles at the moment, on and off the pitch. Um, a club that I do hear a lot about because my brother and, and father are, are Cardiff fans. Very inexperienced manager in English football. Not really sure what's going to happen there. Um, the signings aren't leaping out to me. Uh, yeah, I think they're going to struggle. They struggled last season and they don't really seem to have much of a much of a plan um, off the field. And the investment from Vincent Tan doesn't seem to be very forthcoming at the moment. So I think they're definitely going to struggle. Uh, the other one which popped into my mind, especially after their pre-season result the other night, which was a 5-0 loss to Oxford, was QPR. I like Gareth Ainsworth a lot. I think you'll have them hard to beat. Um, but I just wonder if they're going to have enough quality. I just wonder whether Gareth Ainsworth's football is suited to the championship fully and whether he can sort of implement what he had Wickham at Wickham, at a, at a sort of bigger club in QPR. I'm, I'm not sure. I think they could struggle. Um, Sheffield Wednesday, I think, as well, are my third pick to go down. I mightn't have necessarily said that had they kept Darren Moore. Um, but I think, again, at, at boardroom, there's, there's sort of a little bit of uncertainty and a little bit of almost chaos there with Chancery at times. And I just think, well, we, we've seen it Sunderland over the years that, that when you do have that level of uncertainty, it can be really detrimental on the pitch. So they're my three. There are, there are a couple of other contenders as well, Phil. Who are yours? Yeah, I I definitely went with QPR, which was uh, I have quite mixed feelings about because I haven't watched Gareth Ainsworth win so many games of mm. League One football, mm. Wickham in a certain style. You kind of think over a 46-game season, he'll do enough to stay up. But I think the flip side, which you mentioned there, is he's not a Wickham anymore. He's at a QPR side who a year ago 
were playing some of the most attractive forward-thinking football in the division. Where I think they were top in October before Michael Bale. They were. They were. So I think I think that's a very different dynamic, and I think that you know they were so poor at the end of last season, and the league looks pretty strong this year. It doesn't look like there are going to be too many terrible teams, if that makes sense. Yeah. You know, I think last year, although they probably only ended up getting relegated because of the points deduction, you know, you looked at Reading and you thought that's going to be really tough for them. You know, there were teams wigging because of the problems off the pitch. You looked at them and thought they are going to really struggle. There aren't too many of them this time around. So I think the QPR could get sucked in. Um, Chef Wed, I agree. Bad vibes, I think, at the moment. Mm-hmm. I think they mm-hmm. built a squad to get out of League One. Yeah. Um a, a slightly older squad, a very physical squad, a very good squad for League One. Um, but I haven't seen, because of the uncertainty around Darren Moore and the, the transition period, I haven't seen the business I needed from them. But I have gone for Rotherham and Cardiff um, mm. ahead of Chef Wed. I think Rotherham, <laughs> I predict them to go down every year they're in the championship and last year <laughs> they proved me wrong. And fair play to them, they did brilliantly. Um, but I just think because the league's got stronger, I think it'll be tough for them. And Cardiff, if you could tell me that now that Aaron Ramsey was going to play 45 games at a decent level, I would back him to stay up. But I think that at the moment, you just can't know for sure. And like you say, um, there's a lot of uncertainty there. So if you're looking at Cardiff, how are they going to improve from last year? Well, it's either because, you know, Errol Bullock is an absolute genius or because Aaron Ramsey can recapture his previous form. Both might happen and it might be like a very silly prediction, but you can't be sure, can you? So, yeah, those were my four main ones at the moment. I would maybe just back Chef Wed to creep out of it because of that experience that they've got in the spine of the side. Um, but that was one of the hardest things to pick actually through this whole thing because there aren't those clubs, like I say, the last however many years, every year in the Championship, there seem to be four or five teams in real problems off the pitch financially or whatever it is. Um, and it feels like that's a lot less the case. One mm-hmm. caveat I would also add, is if Neil Warnock's not in charge of Huddersfield by the turn of the year, yeah, that crossed my mind in, as well. Yeah, you suspect they're in massive, massive trouble. But at the moment, you have to assume he'll be there the whole year, and then you would think because he's so good, they would get enough results. That's reminded me. I actually have a, a ten pound bet with my little brother that Aaron Ramsey won't play more than fifteen games um, for Cardiff City. I hope I'm wrong. It's interesting, isn't it, Phil? Because of the teams coming up from League One. Ipswich Town and Plymouth Argyle look quite strong in those in those teams coming up. Yeah, I think so. I think Plymouth was so excellent last year that mm-hmm. I think they will. I'm not. I, I don't see them pushing high up the table, but I think they will have enough of that sort of momentum and that quality to carry them through this year. Barley Mumba as well. Yeah, and their recruitment's been really good. They signed Barley Mumba. They've signed. They brought Morgan Whitaker back, who had a good year for them last year. So I just I don't see them tearing it up, but I just do not see them. I see, I definitely see them winning enough games to stay clear of it. And I think if Switch are top 10, maybe even hard, maybe even yeah. further. Sims and Broadhead up front is uh, dangerous. Yeah. Um, Broadhead, you know, yeah, yeah, sorry, excellent no, player. Sims is what we're talking about. Yeah, but I think, you know, Ipswich have invested significantly even before they came into the championship. Um, and I think I, I see them being possibly even top eight, to be honest. Um if you think the Sun came up and were able to get into six last year, I think you have to think that Ipswich could potentially be in that sort of conversation because of the level. They're probably further ahead than Sunland were when they came up, I think. Um, so, yeah, I, I think Ipswich are going to be really strong and that is a tough first game of the season. 
Yeah, I have Ella Sims on the brain, actually, because I'm still trying to work out what I'm going to say for the the next set of predictions. And that's the three teams that are going to go up. And I'm really struggling with this one. I think Leicester City are putting together a really nice squad. Um, Pep's number two coming in as manager as well. Can they do what Burnley did last season? I wouldn't bet against it. He's obviously going to be very tactically switched on. It's whether he can adapt that to championship football. I'd probably back him to do that. I think some of their signs have been excellent. Obviously, they've got... Callum Doyle, um, who's familiar to Southern fans. He was at Coventry City last season and has improving all of the time. And then I'm looking at, I think the Leicester City will go up as champions, but I think if you asked us now, I think Leeds or Southampton will probably go up with them, but there's so much transfer uncertainty at both clubs that it's really hard to say. So I'd pick them, either of them for, for second and then to go up through the playoffs. I'm really struggling to, to pick between sort of Middlesbrough. I think Sunderland could be in there in Coventry. I think the more I think about Coventry and the fact that they've signed Ellis Sims, Mark Robbins doesn't get the credit he deserves, I think, in the championship. Such a shrewd operator. To do it in the circumstances he's done it under as well um, with the ownership and the stadium issues, I think with the financial back in there now getting... And the fact that he's such a, a bloody good coach and they've got a, a decent team. Obviously, they've lost they've lost Giocarez, which is a, a major blow. But yeah, I'm I'm struggling. So just just to recap mine, Phil, I think Leicester will go up as champions. You could have Southampton leads all leads behind them, and then some of the Coventry, which is a slight cop out from from me, really. But I think it's I think it's very competitive as, as we've mentioned the championship yeah. this season. Yeah, listen, I think the three relegated teams finish in the top six comfortably. Mm. Um I think that picking who's going to be the strongest out of those is quite difficult. I've gone for Southampton and Leeds as my top two. Slightly different reasons. I think that Southampton are my tip for the title. Um, mm. I know that there's a, you know, that because Russell Martin hasn't achieved a promotion or anything like that and his sort of win ratio is not particularly impressive, there's a doubt about whether he can sort of sustain a promotion push. But I think that we've seen with his Swansea team in the Championship, there are games where you can't get the ball off them. And I think when you give him the extra quality of the Southampton squad, I just think they're going to win so many games. And I think the other thing with Southampton is probably the reason they got relegated last year was they did, they tried to sort of do similar to what Sunderland did in their transfer policy, but probably pushed it too far for Premier League level. I think so many of those youngsters who they signed last summer who weren't quite ready to survive in the Premier League are going to be pretty unbelievable this year. Um, the young lad Samuel Adozi, the winger from Man City, looked sensational at times in the Premier League, just lacked that consistency, understandably. But I think these guys could come in and have a brilliant year this year. Leeds, I think, are just probably a bit more stable. They've appointed mm. a proven championship operator. I know there are uncertainty over some players, but I still think you look at the core of what their eleven's going to be at the start of the season, I think it's pretty solid. So I kind of see them churning out results, I think. Um, Leicester, I, I put Leicester below those two just because... I think there's a bit more uncertainty in terms of the head coach. You know, I've no doubt he's very shrewd and talented, but like you say, first time in the championship. Um, so I, I'm going Southampton Leeds for automatic. I think playoffs, yeah, I'm putting all the teams you mentioned there. Sunderland, um, Borough, I think, have to be strong contenders this year because the one thing we know about Borough is you know, when Steve Gibson gets the feeling that promotion is a possibility, mm-hmm. he'll back them. And I think... You know, you're thinking about the length of a 46-game season. I think when you get into January, if Middlesbrough are up there, which all the evidence from last year suggests they will be, 
I think you'll see them flex their muscles a bit, whether it's in your loans coming in from the Premier League or whatever. Obviously, they brought Archer in last year, didn't they? And that was from a fairly weak position. You know, they were recovering mm-hmm. from a dismal start. So, yeah, I fancy I, I fancy Berra to be really, really strong. I think the only thing that puts me off Berra is is what you've mentioned, Phil, is, is they haven't been able to retain any of those loanies so far. But obviously, the, the counterpoint to that is that they could bring more in. Are we sleeping perhaps on Stoke City and Alex Neil? Um, yeah, because pos- we, we know he, we know possibly. he's such a, a good operator yeah. that, that he might yeah. just you know it suits him, doesn't it? Not being talked about, it suits Stoke City. They're just starting maybe to get the the house in order. There's been a couple of key appointments off the field. We don't know how don't know how those are going to go. To be fair, whether they work or not, but it just looks to me like Alex Neil's starting to get his feet under the table now. I do think he needs a good start at Stoke, man, because of the way yeah. last season I ended. Think, but it's interesting because he's such a good manager. We know he is. Yeah, no, no, I agree. I think the reason we're sleeping on him is because they had a very underwhelming start to the transfer window. I think, mm. um, not to say that they signed bad players, but the sort of the first wave of players was very sort of experienced Championship players: Ben Pearson, Ender Stevens, Daniel Johnson, um, and that felt a little bit well. Okay, they're solid players, but they're gonna they're gonna be take you ten places up the table from where you were last year. We're starting to see them do some more interesting business spending fees, but obviously, like a lot of Sunderland signings, um, they're a bit unknown. So it makes a very di- they're going to be the players who make the difference, if you like. Yeah. So I agree with you. Stoke are going to have a good season because they're going to be super organised. They're going to be excellent out of possession. They're going to be fit. They're going to be tenacious. They're going to keep clean sheets. The question is whether they're going to have enough stardust, if you like, um, to win those games that take you into the top six. I find it hard to say that they definitely are right now because I don't know enough about these new signings where the sort of big fees are going. Um, so I'm inclined to think that, you know, you Borough, Coventry, um, you probably slightly have the edge at the moment. But I am like you. I think he needs a good start, which is that's the interesting dynamic. I haven't had an underwhelming sort of first few months. Um, but I, I think they're going to be strong this year. Yeah, it, I mean, it's so competitive. Just just as you mentioned earlier, Phil, those those teams that underperformed last season, could they do better? Sort of Watford, West Brom, Swansea, mm-hmm. um, you know, these teams. Um, Blackburn Rovers are an interesting case. Birmingham are an interesting case, actually, because Birmingham have started to spend a bit of money now. They've got Deion Sanderson um, on a permanent deal. Blackburn aren't looking in great shape off the field. So, yeah, it, there's so many narratives in the championship. It's 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 quite ridiculous. Uh, we've gone for sort of 43 minutes now. We'll quickly move on to some some new stuff, Phil, uh, before we curtail the podcast. The main takeaway after the game from Tony Mowbray against Mallorca on Saturday was that the fun, new, exciting striker that we've just signed is, in fact, injured um, and won't be ready for a couple of months. That's a, a huge disappointment and just typical Sunderland, doesn't it? Yeah, it is a blow. Um, I, I think it, it was interesting that, you know, we sort of discovered after the game as well that Sunderland were already looking to sign another striker mm-hmm. anyway. So I think that tells you that Mienda is more... It's really difficult when these players come in 18, 19, 20 because you're not sure whether they're kind of because some of them are coming in to play from day one. You know, Joe Bellingham being an obvious example of 17. I think it was fairly clear from the way Mowbray spoke that this Miende was a little bit more of a, they were expecting a kind of a real transition period and, and for it to take a period of time from to become an established first-team player. So while it's not great, well, it's really not great, clearly, you know, Mowbray's body language wasn't the same as if it had been, for example, you know, Jack Clark, who was out with yeah, a hamstring yeah. injury. And that's no disrespect to me, and I just think it tells you that 
you know, they clearly feel it's going to be a process to get him settled in, in a new country, new language, new league. Um, so what it obviously does is it reduces those forward options, isn't it? You're looking at Sunday and we are in the scenario where, you know, Hemi is your only striker. And if he tires after an hour because of the intensity of the game, you know, you're going to have to put somebody up front who's not a striker. Um, so it's clearly far from ideal. But you take some encouragement from the way Mowbray spoke, which is very much, look, you know, we knew we needed more senior support for him here. We're pushing for it. We're working on it. Um, that that gives you some hope, I guess, that it's something that will be addressed pretty quickly. Indeed. Um, the Mallorca game, Phil, I thought was, you know, interesting that those players that have been loosely linked with uh, transfers, so Lahaji Ballard were mentioned earlier as well. Obviously, Jack Clark's the main one. They all played, which suggests that nothing is is extremely close. Again, we caveat these podcasts with that could all change. But what is the latest on on the transfer picture? You mentioned there Mowbray and and Sunderland looking at a striker, but you'd expect them to be one or two more incomings and outgoings before the mm. season starts. Oh well, before yeah. the end of the window, certainly. Yeah, definitely. Well, I think we're all kind of waiting for that um, goalkeeper to progress, aren't we? Um, yeah. I think Bishop's United still played, in America, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah, I think Maniak played their last game last night. Um, so you would expect that that's something that could develop later in the week. Um, I would have thought. So that's definitely one we'll see movement sooner rather than later. And then after that, I think if and you know it, it is an if if that other striker comes in, I think you're probably then in a situation where the core of your squad's in place, mm. and it depends a little bit on who goes. Um, and it also depends a little bit on whether you feel, as I keep coming back to, because I still feel like it's such a central question to the puzzle, is whether you feel you've got the quality to manage without Ahmad um, or whether you feel you need to go back into the market in that position. Because I think numbers-wise and depth-wise, if you get another striker and you get another goalkeeper in, you do then have two players for every position in the squad, which is ultimately where you want to be. Um, so I think the bulk of the business will be done. And I think it would then be a question of, if there's any significant outgoings, which at the moment there doesn't seem to be. Um, and then the question, you know, then again, is how you go about changing Ahmad. But as we said, the, the, the outgoings can change the bit quick, can change the picture quickly because you can then potentially have, you know, a decent fee in your pocket that can then, you might say, actually, you know what, we will go and sign another player in that position because we can now afford him who we couldn't afford three weeks yeah, ago. Yeah. Um, so that's going to be a really important part of the puzzle. But as I've kind of said all summer, there's never been noises coming out of Sunderland that this is a window where we kind of feel like we have to sell and we feel financially it's important to sell to reinvest this window. That noise has never been there. So it was always incumbent on other clubs to produce pretty big bids to force Sunderland to change their policy. And as of yet, that just hasn't materialised. Um, as I said, not to say that won't change, um, but at the moment, if things feel fairly settled, I would suggest. Yeah, agree with all of that. That probably brings an end to the to the raw podcast today. A pretty lengthy one. I hope you've enjoyed it. Uh, Hartlepool United on Tuesday, season opener against Ipswich on Sunday. We'll have full coverage of both of those games over at the Sunday Network website. We're on YouTube, Facebook, TikTok, Twitter, or X as it's now called, TikTok, everything. We're, we're there. So yeah, once again, thank you very much for listening to the raw podcast. <laughs>